That has always been one of the most powerful songs for me. Uh, and I have to sing that or say that over and over again, that it's his breath in our lungs. So that's why we sing praises or say praises or shout praises or think praises, because it's the breath of God that gives me breath to do so. Uh, it's just, uh, it is a powerful reminder of who gives us life who has given us everything, everything. I think I could, I, again, this is me. I could listen to that song and sing that song. And listen, I sing like Barney Fife, okay? Uh, but that song reminds me, it doesn't matter how good I sound. I am singing praises to an audience of one, and that is, uh, that is God and God alone. So this morning, we are continuing our look. We started last week at the letter that Paul wrote to a church that is in the town of Colossae. In your Bibles, it's Colossians uh, chapter 1 uh, in the New Testament. You can start in Genesis and start flipping. When you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Go back the other way. Okay, so Colossians is a short book. It is near the end of the Old Testament. Uh, it's only about four chapters and relatively short chapters. Uh, Paul is writing from a Roman prison. Uh, he has been visited by Epaphras, maybe Philemon, and some others from this church in Colossae that he's never been to. He did not start this church. Epaphras was a church planner who heard Paul preach while Paul was in Ephesus. He took that message, you know, a couple hours to Colossae and planted a church. It is a thriving church. Uh, for the most part, it is a good functioning church, a healthy church, but there is a heresy, the Colossian heresy, as it's kind of namely been called, that is not necessarily inside the church yet, but it is outside trying to make its way in. And we explained that a good bit last week, that it is dealing with kind of what I call the Build-A-Bear theology. Um, the hodgepodge smorgs, Golden Corral theology. That's it. We're all hungry. You go to the buffet and you get, I want this, I want this. It's, that was kind of a mindset of the Roman government is they didn't really care what religion you practice as long as you didn't make your religion the main religion and you didn't try to force it on everybody else. That was just kind of the mindset of Rome. And so in these Roman cities and colonies and provinces, people were, would be like, well, I'll take a little bit of this, I'll take a little bit of this, I'll take a little bit of this, I'll take a little bit of this. They added all together, and that was where they got their faith. Uh, we, we said it was Jesus plus. That's what they're trying to convince the church, that it's Jesus plus all these other things will give you a complete spiritual picture. Jesus plus keeping the, Judy, uh, the Jewish dietary laws. Jew, uh, Jesus plus plus worshiping of angels, Jesus plus worshiping this Greek goddess, or Jesus plus these Romans. So that is, the, that is the false teaching that Paul is trying to combat and trying to write against and teach them that the complete puzzle piece, the missing puzzle piece from our lives isn't anything other than Jesus. It is Jesus alone that completes us, that it is Jesus alone that saves us, it is Jesus alone that restores us 
to a right relationship with God. It's not Jesus plus, it is Jesus period. Jesus period is the missing piece of our lives. And if we're already Christians, we don't add tradition, we don't add rituals, we don't add legalism. It is simply we are saved and complete by Christ alone because Christ alone completes us. And here's what we'll see as we go through the letter, because Christ himself is complete. He is completely God. He is completely human. He is completely perfect. He himself is complete. So he is the completion of the redemptive work of God. And we'll dive into more of that as we go through the book. But Paul is opening with a greeting in the first verse. Uh, It's his typical greeting. He gives a thanksgiving. And in verse 9, he continues a prayer, but he prays for something very specific that we're going to look at today. So I want to ask you a question. Here's what I want you to think about. What do you primarily pray about? Maybe this week. Think, you think, what did you primarily pray about this week? Think about it. Anybody pray for the power to come back on? <laughs> Am I the only family in the church that lost power? That is absolutely, there we go. That's it. Praying, praying for the food not to spoil. It did, <laughs> but we didn't have much. We pray, praying for a good start to the school year. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, praying for uh, the health of a relative or a friend that they would be healed. What, are, what do we primarily pray for when we pray? Maybe, maybe it's to seek God's will in a decision. Maybe, maybe that's where you're at. You've got some big decisions to make and you're praying to know God's will, to, to, to know this. Uh, maybe it's... Maybe you're beginning the journey of your last year of high school and you're praying, what's next? Where am I going to go to school? Am I going to go to this school? How am I going to get into school? Am I going to pray that I pass my SATs, my ACTs? All those different things that I make good grades. Uh, Athletes are starting to gear up for sports. You're praying for safety on the field to win those games. Maybe you prayed for the Panthers to do something good yesterday. God doesn't care about football because he never answered that prayer, right? (laughs) What do you primarily pray for? Uh, Paul is going to give a very specific prayer. And by the way, all those things are good. I don't want us to look at this prayer and think prayers for healing are bad. They're not. Prayers to to go back to school, they're not bad. Prayers to pass a test, they're not bad. Prayers on where you're going to go to school, who you're going to marry, those aren't bad. But how often do we pray for what Paul prays for here, which is spiritual growth? Now, maybe you do, but how often do you pray for spiritual growth in your life and spiritual growth in the life of your church, your friends, your families? If you're a parent, you may do this often. I remember my mother, God, she was a praying woman, and this is a praying church. She always told me, she had this 30-minute drive to school. She was at West Stanley. We lived in Mount Pleasant. She, she listened to the radio. She prayed there and back for me and my brother, my dad to a lesser extent. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. 
me and my brother. And it was always that we would grow closer to God, that we would glorify him. And was, she always prayed for our spiritual well-being, our spiritual growth, our health, our wealth, all these other things. How often have we prayed for spiritual growth? Because that is what Paul prays for, starting in verse 9. First of all, he says, for this reason, so everything we looked at last week, he says, for this reason, because of the gospel, because the gospel transformed you, the gospel has started your church, the gospel has unified you for this reason, since the day we heard this, since the day we heard about you as a church, we haven't stopped praying for you. So right out of the bat, we see a continuous, never-ceasing, non-stopping praying Paul who says, I have, ever since somebody told me that there's this little church in Colossae that I didn't know about, I've been praying for you. Every day, all the time. And here's what he's praying. He says, we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance, patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in his, in the saint's inheritance in the the light. And I'm going to go ahead and read verse 13, but we'll cover that next week. Verse 13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is Paul praying for spiritual growth of the church over and over and over and over and over again, he is praying that this little church in this little town, remember Colossae is about the size of China Grove probably, maybe a little bigger, maybe a little smaller, that this little church would grow in there and be filled with the knowledge of God's will. When he says to be filled, it is a passive verb in the Greek, meaning that something has to do the filling. We call this in the theological world a divine passive because it is only God who can do the filling. It's really you know, the NLT, the NIV, the new NIV, they translate it a little bit better and they give you that picture of he is praying that God would fill the church, that God would fill them up, not just once, but over and over and over again. Think about, uh, I saw this magic um, Christian magician one time. He had this huge bucket on the stage. And it was a magic trick, but he would take the bucket, he would pour, he, he would take a bucket from over here, he would pour water into the big bucket, set this bucket down, he would take a bucket from over here, pour it in here, he would take a bucket from over here and pour it in here, and then he would go back to this one, and it was filled with water again. And he just kept going to these three buckets to continuously fill up the big bucket. 
He, he must have had it like connected to some kind of water pressure system because he did this for like 10 minutes. The water never stopped filling up the little buckets and the water never filled up the big bucket, but they kept pouring water into it. Paul is saying, I want you to be filled over and over and over again every single day of your life with what? The knowledge of God's will. How many of you want to know God's will? And every, everybody should raise your hand. We want to know God's will on everything. Okay, we want to make sure we're in God's will. And that is the prayer that they are filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, Paul uses this phrase in other places, but I think it is very specific to the context. One of the groups of false teachers uh, is, uh, while it's hard to say if this is a fully developed faith at this time or not, the foundations of it are here, Gnosticism. You've probably heard that word before, but they are, they're superior people. You know, they think they know everything. The Gnostics believe that they have found the right rituals and the right secret activities to overcome the evilness of matter in their souls. Now, that's a big distinction because Gnostics, here's what they think, all matter, all our human bodies, Jesus is what they would say, all matter is evil. It is our souls that are important. And so they think they've, they've gotten the superior knowledge that they can live their life however they want to. That if they were sinning before, they can continue to sin after, and it doesn't matter because they've got superior mystical knowledge in their souls. That is one of the major teachings that is trying to infiltrate the church. Paul talks about it. First and second, John address it uh, when John's writing about it. And so when Paul says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God, he is making it very clear that true knowledge, complete knowledge comes from Christ alone. It's not a mistake he uses that word to start combating those false teachings, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. For Paul... And for the Hebrew people and for Greek people, knowledge was everything. We've heard it, knowledge is power. But what kind of knowledge is important? The knowledge that only comes from God. So if you want to know God's will for your life, then you have to know God's word. Because for us today... That's where we get it. That's where we learn knowledge about God. And so essentially, if Paul was writing it to us today, he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will by reading God's word. From Genesis to Revelation, we get all we need to know about God. And, it's, and we get all we need to know about God's will for our life. And it's not just, listen, it's not just who am I gonna marry? It's not just where am I gonna go to school? It's not just where should, should I do this or should I do that. It's God's ultimate will for all of humanity to be redeemed through faith alone in Christ alone. 
It is God's desire that no man perish, but that all men should be saved through their faith in Jesus Christ. And so that is the will of God, to surrender your life ultimately to Jesus and to follow him without exception. And Paul prays, he's like, don't, don't let this church be filled with anything other than the will of God, the knowledge of the one true God. Don't let them be filled with pleasures of the world or false teachings of the world. Fill them with knowledge of your will. in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So we take that knowledge, we apply it to our life, that is wisdom. Now I know God's will is hard to understand. And I know we question God's will from time to time. God, why did this happen? God, why did, why did I do this? Why did he do that? Why did she do that? Why am I in this situation? there's not always an answer to those questions. Sometimes it's just a trust that we are in God's word, we are following God's ways, and we trust that God's will is going to work everything out for our good and for his glory. Like we said in Psalms, even though we have to walk through that darkest valley, God is with us, leading us, guiding us, as long as we stay connected to him. So that's the prayer for spiritual growth, a prayer to be filled with knowledge. He gives us the purpose so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The word walk is often used by Paul to express to live so that we may live in a manner that is worthy and pleasing of the Lord Jesus Christ. For, for Paul, as a Hebrew, as a Jew, knowledge always led to conduct. What he knew led to how he acted. For Christians, when we know the will of God, we act on the will of God. When, when we are Christians, we have a way to live our life that is worthy of the calling, as he says in Ephesians, worthy of the calling that we have been called to. For the false teachers, it didn't matter how they lived their life. They could live it however they wanted to because they had superior knowledge. But for us as Christians, the knowledge of God means we are to live in a manner worthy of the, of the Lord. Meaning, this is preaching to me, when that referee makes a bad call against my daughter playing basketball, running out there and wanting to punch him in the face would not be, a worthy, would not be living worthy of the calling. That's me. I, I don't know if that's you. That's me, right? Uh, when the, again, when the Panthers... Do something stupid. Sorry, I just said a bad word. TJ's going to say I said a bad word. Throwing the, t the remote at the TV, done it before, not living a life worthy of the manner. When someone's going behind my back talking bad about me, getting revenge is not always living a life worthy or pleasing to God. I know what the Bible says, but... An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I get it. But I know what Jesus says. Turn the other cheek. Amen. I know what Jesus says. If they ask you to carry something for a mile, you carry it for two miles. 
I'm not dismissing the Old Testament. It is powerful and it is important, but I'm saying we need to live like Jesus teaches us to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then he, that's the purpose of his prayer, so that they would live holy and pleasing lives to the Lord. And this is what it looks like. I love Paul. He goes, I'm praying for this. Here's why I'm praying for this. Here's what that's going to look like in your life. Number one, bear fruit. And I, not pineapple on pizza, right? Yeah. Bear fruit. The fruits of the Spirit, joy, love, patience, gentleness, uh, and there's more of those, but you know, that's in Galatians. Bearing fruit, a life of joy, a life of love, a life of patience, a life of gentleness, a life that is more like Jesus, a life that witnesses to other people and tells other people about the gospel. Bearing fruit is not just joy, love, patience, kindness, and gentleness. That's part of it. It's telling people about Jesus. Listen, we have a problem in Christianity. I think it's, it's twofold. And Kent Hughes talks about this, and I agree with him. I actually, before I read his book, I would have wrote, said the same thing, but I read his book, and he reminded me. So I got to give him credit because I read his book right, on Colossians. He thinks one of the big problems we have with bearing fruit is, one, you have scholarly intellectuals who sit at their seminaries in their world of academia, and they know so much about the Bible, and then they just don't tell anybody about it except their classes, but they're not out witnessing. They're not telling people. They, they've reached this level of superior theology and they just keep it to themselves. Or when they try to, they talk above everybody's head in such a way that nobody understands it. The second problem is we have everyday folks in the pews who think they don't know enough to tell people about Jesus, who are afraid to tell people about Jesus because they are not smart enough. He's not saying they're not smart enough. They think they're not smart enough. And so they, they don't tell people. So you got the super smart who hold it in and you got the people who think they don't know enough and so they don't tell anybody. Maybe that's one of the big reasons that as Southern Baptists, our numbers are declining faster than anything else in the religious world. Our baptisms are declining. And, you, and people will point to a whole lot of doctrinal and theological problems. I think we just don't tell people about Jesus. I don't do it enough. You're like, well, you stand on stage every week. Did I do it at the gas station when the person's pumping? No. Do I do it to the waitress? Maybe once in my life. If we want to see, the, if we want to see fruit produced, then we've got to be the ones teaching and preaching and proclaiming the gospel. In a real sense, I get in trouble for saying this, we're all preachers. All of us. Because we're all supposed to proclaim the goodness, the faithfulness, the love, the mercy, the grace, and the saving power of Jesus Christ. And if you're scared to do that, like I've been in my life and like I get shy sometimes, here's what I think we need to remember. That Jesus says he is the vine and we are the branches. If we're connected to him, then we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to have those divine appointed conversations. And by the way, if you have a conversation with somebody who, who asks really hard questions that you don't know the answer to, it is okay to say, I don't know. And it is okay to say, well, sometimes we just have to take that on faith. 
because we don't have all the answers to all those questions. But it's our job just to tell people about Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit work in their life. Let the Holy Spirit water and put fertilizer on it. Maybe somebody else leads them to Christ 10, 20 years from now. Like there's people I've met all around the world that I shared the gospel with on mission trips. They rejected it when I shared it. But who's to say the next year they didn't receive it? All I got to do is tell people about Jesus and bear fruit. Again, he goes on to say you bear fruit. You have to grow in knowledge. He, he reiterates the importance of learning, the idea of that the more you bear fruit, the more you live in a manner worthy of the calling, the more you'll grow. The more you serve, the more you'll grow. He then he goes and continues to say a powerful walk, strengthened with all power, great endurance and patience. Listen, this life is hard. This life is challenging. We need to be long-suffering. We need to have endurance. Where does the endurance come from? The power of God living in our life. And then I love what he adds. He adds patience. We have to be patient. I'm not a patient person. Since apparently I was the only one who didn't have power, I, would, I, I feel like I should call Duke Energy and say, what's up? You know, I wanted to call Duke Energy and say, what's up? It has been 24 hours and I can't watch TV. Don't you know the Braves are on? Oh, think if it was the World Series. Oh, but we got to be patient. And I try to be patient. You know what I don't pray for often? Patience. You know what Paul just prayed for this church? Patience. You know what I bet's getting ready to happen? They're going to have to exercise some patience. You know, I don't know. We don't have the whole story. But, you know, it's, when you pray for patience, you better be ready. But patience is possible with the power that you get from God. You can do it. And every time you're patient and you have to wait on the Lord and you see the Lord come through for you, it'll strengthen the patience for the next time. You'll continue to grow in knowledge. We need the knowledge of God's will so that we can bear fruit, so, so that we can continue to grow, so that we have a powerful walk strengthened by, with all power. Uh, we have a steady supply of power coming to us through the Holy Spirit. And then we need to be thankful. Look, what he, look at what he says again at the end. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in all the light. A worthy walk bears fruit. A worthy walk is filled with the power to overcome patience, endurance. It is filled with continuous growth. But a worthy walk is a thankful heart, a joyful heart. And we can be thankful for a lot of things, and we should be thankful for the food that we do have, thankful for gas and vehicles, thankful for the air that's in our lungs. Heard a sermon, a whole sermon one time, a guy preached on how we should be thankful for just air. How often have you said, Lord, thank you for oxygen? It's probably not a common prayer, but it's, that's pretty important for life. Thank you. For, there's a lot to be thankful for. Thankful for this church. Thankful for friends. Thankful for family. But Paul says, with a joyful heart, give thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in light. 
Uh, And really, verse 13 connects to the next section, the Christ hymn that we'll look at next week. But that inheritance is the fact that he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, that God transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you're not thankful for anything else, are you thankful that Jesus died on a cross to save you? The Bible says that we're all sinners and that Jesus died for sinners. That the Father gave his son so that his children would be adopted into his family by the grace of God through faith alone in Christ alone. Are we thankful? I know every week we talk about the gospel. We talk about how we are all sinners. We've all been saved by grace and that Jesus died for us. And we do that every week because we don't know who's in the room, whether you're saved or not. But there's a more important reality. We all need to be reminded every day, every week of God's love for us through the gospel. You see, if the church in Colossae gets complacent about the gospel, if they forget what God has done through Christ, then those false teachings will absolutely get a foothold and take over. But as long as they remember the truth of the gospel, they can stand strong and endure the persecutions, the false teachings, and the battle that rages around them. Don't ever get complacent about the gospel. Don't ever get comfortable with the gospel. Be thankful always for the gospel. And that'll help you live a life worthy of the call or a life worthy and pleasing to the Lord Jesus. This morning... Have you, this is what I want you to think about. Have, when's the last time you prayed for spiritual growth? You can pray this prayer for yourself. You can pray this prayer for your children, for your grandchildren, your grandparents. You can pray this prayer. When's the last time you did that? And then if you're here, and you've never surrendered to Christ, I invite you to respond to the gospel today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for Paul and the inspiration that you put on his life to pen these words. I thank you for his prayer. Father, may may it be a model for us that as we pray for ourselves, as we pray for health and all these other things and decisions, that ultimately we would pray that we would grow closer to you, that we would know you deeper today than we did yesterday, deeper tomorrow than we did today, that we would grow so that we could live the life that you teach us to live and have called us to live. Father, draw us into your family. 
and teach us to live so that we, with power, endurance, thankfulness, and help us to bear fruit, all for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.